0: G'day, I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me on Conversations on Radio WA, 87.6 FM in East Perth and Western Tourist Radio in the southwest of Western Australia. My next guest is the CEO of the Bustle and Jetty, Lisa Shreve. G'day, Lisa.
1: Hi, Barry. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for your time. Uh, The Bustle and Jetty is a fantastic story. We spoke to Trevor Fitzgerald uh, some time ago, and the, the history it remains the same, but things are continuing to evolve. Tell us uh, the story of the Busselton jetty in 2021.
1: Oh, Trevor's a legend. I hope I do as well as he does. Um, we're sitting in our boardroom at the moment having a chat and you can see Trevor Fitzgerald up there as the past president from 2011 to 2014 and a life member. Um, Peter Loughton, David Cooch, Ali Scott, Roy Morris, Trevor Fitzgerald, Don Tompkinson, Jenny Sheen, Barry House have all been um, volunteer chairpersons or presidents of the Busselton Jetty since 1987, um, which was pretty much when Busselton Jetty formed an association, became incorporated and set up a board and membership um, because their aim was to save the jetty back then. In 1978 Cyclone Elby washed out most of the promenade, there were apparently 3,000 people people on April the 6th, I think it was, 1978 on the beach run in Bustleton just crying because their beloved jetty had just been washed away into the ocean, most of it. And the bit that we believe stayed was due to the train track, the weight of the train track that used to pull those um, big trains out to carry the timber around to the London undergrounds and the Indian railroads that stayed and, and the cyclone didn't wash that away. So um, pretty much from 1978 on there was a community um, committee that was formed before they got incorporated and they worked really hard for about nine years to save the jetty wood and um, do as much as they could to fundraise, eventually forming an association in 1987 that still exists today, some 30-odd years later. Um, And we're really lucky that they did because there's a lot of jetties around Australia that have fallen into the ocean or into disrepair they are sort of um, beloved creatures that you form an attachment to because this is where you grow up and you learn to fish and jump and jetty dive and all those sort of things, snorkel around it um, and we want our kids to be able to do that and our grandkids to be able to do that.
0: It's a, a great story of community commitment and a very much a grassroots bottom up sort of thing and I think that's really important. And uh, certainly, there's a place for government to support these things, but uh, if it's done from a community, it's uh, and it's got community ownership in it, hasn't it?
1: Yeah definitely. We've got about 850 members at the moment. Um, Some of them are voting members and some are friends of the jetty and they're the lifeblood behind the jetty. 88 of them do volunteer jetty hosting and they help people on and off the train every day. We've got obviously the eight board members who are all volunteers and members and then we've got about 12 people that come in and help us with survey compilation, uh, fish species data. We've got a, a jetty volunteer Chris who loves inputting data about the different fish species that are sighted every day at the jetty and recorded by our tool guides Um, and we've got some people that come in and help us with databases with cooking um, lots of different things and it just keeps them involved in the community and um, we love to see them in here and um, we fill up the biscuits and the the teapot when they come in
0: so the jetty is more than just uh, something to walk out on it's actually an eco-tourism experience
1: Yeah, definitely. We really pride ourselves on making sure that as we've talked about our members are our social side of the jetty and we um, try and do as much as we can for them as they do for us. Um, The economic side is obviously the businesses, running the train and underwater observatory is really important because 25% of our ticket sales goes back into the jetty's maintenance and preservation for years to come, which is a really unique business model when you think of tourist attractions around the world. No one that I know puts 25% of their ticket sales back into ongoing maintenance. Um, And then the environment is really important to us too. It is our golden goose because under the end of the jetty, um, we have 300 different marine species that choose to live there because it is a sanctuary and we want to protect them as much as we can um, and provide them with the shelter that the jetty provides so that they continue to grow and flourish. There's a lot of juvenile species out there and this is where they have their babies and the babies grow up because they are pretty much safe at the end of the jetty and they're not fished out. And we just got advanced ecotourism accreditation for all our work we're doing on making sure that we're reducing our carbon footprint. And we were named one of two tourist attractions in Australia with Climate Action Business Certification because we're doing so much positively to um, you know, put more oxygen into the air and help plant trees and do all those things as well.
0: That's great, and I think the, the story of the South West is very much connected with uh, looking after the environment. If we, if we don't look after the environment, I, I guess that's what appeals to me in the tourism, in that the, the tourism is giving the natural environment an economic value, and that we've got to, to look after that to protect the, the tourism industry.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a big push at the moment, um, especially by some social media sites. They don't want to see animals in cages. Um, Everyone wants to see nature in its own natural state. Um, The environment where we have is um, an open ocean. We don't feed the fish out there, it's their choice to be there, and we sort of say that it's the people that are in the tank and the fish are actually looking at us. Um, I just went out there today um, with two Busselton people, and there's about 400 um, schools of fish out there, 400 fish, I should say, in one school. Um, swimming past and and that's the difference about the jetty every day is different and you go out there one day and there might be a sea line and today we saw a cormoran that flew into the ocean and chased a school of fish to, and went down about four meters underwater it blew me away and that that's what makes it unique people love to see the natural environment and people stand in that underwater observatory you know for 20-30 minutes of time just wandering and looking out the windows because of the colors and the different fish life out there I mean, it is really relaxing and, and you leave with that sense of wow I've just had a a wonderful experience but I've also learned about the good things about the ocean I need to do to keep it clean.
0: That's really important isn't it Uh, looking after these things and uh, I guess so often people perhaps in cities are are disconnected from the natural world and don't know what they don't know and it's only by giving them these experiences to help them to understand uh, how humans have got to interact with the natural environment for, for both of us.
1: Yeah, that's really important, Barry. And I I think of my own example, um, we watched a documentary called Rubber Jellyfish about three years ago with our members and we put it on the screen because not many people have seen it and it's all about helium balloons. Um, Helium balloons go into the atmosphere and when they end up in the ocean, um, certain marine creatures, especially turtles, Think that they're jellyfish because they burst and they look like the spindles of a jellyfish and the big blow-up head um, and once a turtle eats a, a balloon a helium balloon it gets stuck in its esophagus and the turtles don't have the ability to regurgitate it out so it just sits in its uh, esophagus and it blows the turtle up and it either floats to the top of the ocean gets eaten by sharks or it just dies um, a death and it was really sad but I had no idea before I worked at the jetty that that was the case and you know I used to buy helium balloons for birthday parties and you know someone had a baby you'd buy helium balloon um, and now I'm like no we don't want helium balloons. Um, so little things like that you just don't know what you don't know so if we can help educate people and they choose to get a lantern or get something else that doesn't go into the ocean for kids birthdays um, then that's a good outcome I think we're making small steps to educate people and, and hopefully small changes.
0: I think that's a really important message and uh So in this COVID era, you're engaging people through your social media and other online presence?
1: yeah we're trying really hard to stay in touch with social media and we put some interesting educational things on there but we also put some fun things on there too um, we had a, someone suggest to us we should have underwater scooters at the end of the jetty and I put a funny post on there the other day with some naked people swimming away with their underwater scooters and obviously you could see their their bottoms on their their scooters and um, that's had about 400 comments and you know about people's butt cracks which was quite funny but we try and put things on there that you know about our events but also about the marine life and what they might be able to see and we had a, a big sea lion come in last week, which we called Boris. I haven't seen him at the end of the jetty before, but he um, ate a Wobbegong shark and he had it in his mouth when he was swimming past the window. So We got some amazing video footage from the tourists that were in the underwater observatory at the time. But today when I went in there, the Wobbegong shark, or half of it, is dead. It's actually on the ocean floor and um, he just left it there. So that was really interesting because I thought someone else or another um, bigger fish might have come in and eaten it. But yeah, there's always something different on social media and, and I was lucky enough to see some whales at the end. End of june swimming right next to the balustrade at the end of the jetty on the western side and that was just incredible timing because it was a saturday and i wouldn't normally be there and we'd walked out of the underwater observatory with the ceo from mona in tasmania and he just thought that happened every day at the jetty you know whales just swim past where you could touch them over the balustrade and there was about 10 people videoing it and you know that just makes you think wow what an amazing place that we live in and how lucky are we to have this jetty here
0: Absolutely we are and uh, I guess uh, Western Tourist Radio we're about telling these sort of stories and what we're endeavouring to do with our website which is sort of a bit dated but we're in the process of overhauling it is to use it as a a portal to connect uh, travellers with local businesses and uh, in tourism at the moment there's lots of uh, high profile tourism sites out there that are commission based. And what we're endeavouring to do is to provide a linkage direct to, to local businesses. And we encourage people uh, driving through to visit to local businesses, book online, but uh, book direct through their websites because uh, they'll get the best set that way without uh, sending big commissions overseas
1: yeah that's definitely right barry um the agents do help us but it's so important that you try and give people as much money as you can at the moment during COVID and and book direct Um, we're about two and a half million down on where we would normally be if we had interstate and international visitors here Um, and we're just trying to cut back as many costs as we can but it gets to the stage where um, there's you know only so much you can cut back and you've still got bills to pay
0: this is being recorded in september 2021 you've been the ceo for five and a half years The first, uh, I guess, um, three and a half were pretty good. The last couple of years have been some uh, fairly curved balls...
1: Yeah, it's funny because um, oh, it's not funny. It's bloody, bloody awful. But uh, when I started, we did a big risk assessment, and we said, okay, what's the worst that could ever happen? And we said, okay, let's put down the SARS virus because you know that was sort of prevalent a few years before, and and um, six years ago, we said, okay, we'll put down SARS, and you know, and we'll put down the price of petrol going to two dollars fifty a litre, and everything we could to try and um, look at what control measures can you put in place. I don't think we ever predicted something as bad as COVID would happen, where borders would be shut for this long. It, it was just not even thought about then and everyone's pivoted and, you know, just trying to keep people safe and, you know, I I the borders being closed has is, is been terrible for us. But as an individual living in Western Australia, it's been great because I wouldn't want to be living in New South Wales or Victoria and having to go what they're going through. So, you know, you can understand while, why the borders are locked. It's just really difficult when you're trying to run a business and look after staff and we've lost 40 of our staff and it's probably been the worst 12 months of my life having to tell people, I'm sorry, we don't have a job for you and there is no JobKeeper and um, the casuals have lost so many hours that um, they haven't. we haven't been able to keep them with as many hours as they need to pay their bills and their mortgages and put food on the table. And Our board's been amazing, um, JobKeeper was amazing, we've kept as many people as we can on, our staff have been amazing. We've been lucky enough to keep 35 of our staff here um, in secure permanent employment. We're just looking at every avenue we can to get as much money in as we can in summer, um, and then we're lucky that you know for the last five years we've been putting money into the bank because we wouldn't have been able to survive if we didn't have that money in the bank. It just means all of our new projects coming up, the Australian Underwater Discovery Centre and the village. Instead of loaning, you know, three million, we might be loaning five million um, and paying it off over a longer time period because we've really tried to focus on keeping our staff through the last sort of 18 months.
0: Despite the the COVID problems, you're still planning to move forward with these new developments?
1: Yeah, well, the long weekend just gone, Um, September long weekend, we had every single underwater observatory tour booked for three days. And the weather was sunny, but it wasn't great. It was still quite cool. Um, So that's nine tours a day of 44 people a day, and we couldn't fit one more person in. So once we build the new Australian Underwater Discovery Centre, we can fit 140 people through an hour, and nobody will go away upset that they came down for long weekend and didn't get to do the tour that they really wanted to do. Um, So, yes, it's exciting. Um, We've got the grant money. We've got all of the projects. Um, where we need it to be uh, we're waiting for the final budget to come in which is a little bit scary because the price of steel has gone up and buildings gone up but the people that are doing the work for us, subcon um, and the builders know we've only got a certain budget and this project either goes ahead on that budget or it doesn't go ahead at all.
0: The jetty is well known for the underwater observatory but you're also going into the more food experiences?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, Barry, we've surveyed about 12,000 people over the past four years and the number one thing that people want at the end of the jetty is coffee. The number two thing they want at the end of the jetty is fish and chips. So we've been working with Subcon again to build the village, we're calling it, it's like a food and beverage village at the end of the jetty as well as the Australian Underwater Discovery Centre. So they'll complement each other and we'll be able to have breakfast, lunch and dinners out there, weddings, events, etc. We'll have a commercial kitchen out there. So if you do want to go out and have fish and chips takeaway or a coffee or a toasty, you can do that. But if you want to go in and sit and have a seafood platter or enjoy the sunset with a glass of wine and a cheese and charcuterie board at the end of the jetty and just you know relax over the ocean it'll be a unique location you know surrounded by the ocean Um, there's not many places in Australia that you can do that.
0: Well it's a fantastic story Lisa and I congratulate you and all your committee on the work you're doing and I wish you all the best uh, going forward and uh, by all means if you've got something update we'd love to hear from you and uh, tell our listeners about it.
1: Thanks Barry and thanks for your interest in tourism. It's been a pretty um, tough year for some parts of the tourism industry. I know there's been quite a few that have tripled their budgets and done really well but tours and attractions um, we've all been struggling um, without the borders open so hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel and and things are obviously we're moving out of this um, period rather than into a a worse period um, because there's some really amazing people in the tourism industry and it worries me that if things don't change we might lose them forever and we really want to profile Western Australia to the rest of the world and, and be competitive in tourism so we need our best people to be able to do that and Tourism Radio is obviously helping with that as well so thank you for all your contribution.
0: It's my pleasure and uh, I guess uh, I see our service as a, as a storytelling medium and you know there's growing awareness of how much we have to learn from Aboriginal culture and they pass their culture down through storytelling so storytelling is really important.
1: Yeah I remember my kids growing up reading stories to them at night time I think was their favourite time of the day and I think if you ask anyone about um, stories and the imagination and and moving into a different world sometimes and escaping your own world, um, yeah stories whichever way they're told I think everyone loves a good story.
0: Thanks Lisa, thanks for telling us your story. You've been listening to Conversations on Radio WA as we tell the stories of people and places in Western Australia.